You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Okay, hello and welcome to another episode of The Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. I'm uh, I'm sitting here with a goddamn fucking legend right now. Uh, one of the best in the game. One of the best we ever had. Uh, he's here now. We love him. He's the godfather. Kenny Robinson. How you feeling today, Kenny? Uh, one day above dirt is always a good day. <laughs> <One day. laughs> do, you fit, do you think about that a lot? Do you think oh, about well, the end? Sure. Most of my friends have died, and so every time I turn on Facebook, if it isn't my friend dying, it's somebody's parent dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm at the age where everybody's croaking. You get to that uh, that point in your life where the switch from uh, from tragic deaths to slow disease deaths, you know? Or, like, you know, your buddy's not dead in a ditch anymore. He's slowly dying of some you know, shitty disease. Some days I wish I had OD'd back when I could have gone out. <laughs> were, you, were you a big drug guy? Uh, there was, I had periods of time, but you know, it was more, it was more like giving the, uh, bears, a, it was more like giving Tim bits to the bears. Yeah. Somebody got fined two grand for doing that, I think, out in BC. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was all about, uh, was it cocaine? Yeah, that Back was... Back in the 80s, eh? Everyone loved the cocaine. Yeah, it was a cow- cocaine cowboy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then, I used to like this uh, morphine-based cough syrup named Tussinix. Ah. You could only get that with a prescription, so I dated this nurse for a while. <laughs> and uh, she, got trick. A, she got us a couple of sample bottles, but other times when I had prescriptions that she would fill out uh, herself and then try to sign something. They knew it wasn't a doctor. They'd want to call in. So more than once, I have uh, went running out of a drugstore. <laughs> now there's too many cameras. Now they'd say, look at this guy trying to get prescription medication. Yeah, but now you can just go on some website, and some guy will show up a half hour later and knock on your door. Now you couldn't pay me to do it. No, well, it's scary now, man. You don't know what the hell's going on. Well, you don't, not you don't even know. that. It's just that the, the, I don't see the need for it, you know? Yeah. Now it's... Uh, I had an interesting conversation with one comic once. He was asking me the shortcuts to the top and i said there ain't none <laughs> and then i told him leave that blow alone he goes well you know he started you know giving me static for it. and i said well how come you asked me for the shortcuts but you don't want to listen to the things that will give you longevity yeah so uh you know i just uh yeah no i think it's i think everything should come in a phase and, yeah uh, it's a, yeah it's an experimental period time whatever you yeah, want to live it. it and then stop living it and be an and adult keep living yeah 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 graveyards full of dead uh, geniuses <laughs> Had a little too much of the nose candy. What about we? You were talking about prescription stuff. Did, um, were you around for lewds? Uh, I was around, but I didn't care about it. Did you try it? Nah. No, I've, no. Never, I've never met anyone who tried a lewd before. No, and uh, you know, I wasn't for any of the. Even though I did know girls that would give truck drivers hand jobs for bennies back in the seventies. Oh, the old lot lizards, eh? Uh, <laughs> well, no, they were just girls that hung out where I hung out. But uh, they, I think, they grew up to become lot lizards. They weren't at that lot lizard that uh, that uh, lot training lizard phase. age yet. They. Uh, they, they they were still basically uh, trying to you know stay in school or whatever at the point. But, <laughs> but, but giving a hand job for a pill. Well, no, you get ten or fifteen for a hand job, you know, and and then uh, and then they'd be held to pay if someone gave you heart pills. That was the big thing. Oh. Those aren't bennies. These are heart pills. <laughs> he ripped you off. We all got to go back there and do them. <laughs> what are the bennies? What? Are... Um, they were uppers. The truckers uppers. kept them to yeah. stay awake, and uh, chubby chicks thought they could lose weight. And I said, well, just don't eat that cheesecake I bought <laughs> while I'm sleeping, and you won't need any bennies. 
So, you know, um, but that was nothing I really ever had an interest in. I was, you know, I was pretty much a, a good boozer. Jack Daniels was my uh, drink uh, for most nights. And then when I was uh, really... You know, whiskey bent and hell bound, as Hank would say. I, I uh, in fact, I just turned Sterling uh, Scott onto these um, Errol Flynn's, which is uh, it's a yeah, it's a Cavassier or Henny with uh, Grand Marnier, and that shit's sweet, but oh. it burns. <laughs> and uh, you after, put that on ice? Uh, you could. Good. But after three or four, you think you're Errol Flynn. You're standing <laughs> on the tables with a sword, and you're taking on all comers. So, you drinking these days? Nah, uh, I find myself like on the long week and I go, oh, I better go buy 12 beer in case I want one. But what I find now is... Um, Still got nine in the fridge? Yeah. <laughs> and then one night I'll drink the nine beers and then I'll have no more beers. And then I got to open up the, the 62 bottles of hard liquor I've been given as gifts over the past 10 years. I've got, I've got, I've got, got a collection going? Yeah, I've got Jack Daniels that have dust that you, you can't even see the label anymore. And uh, I, I guess also living in Mississauga cuts down on what uh, no-account friends pop by for a drink. Yeah, no you doubt. Know. <laughs> so, but once upon a time, that wouldn't have lasted me very long. Yeah, that's, uh, I, like, I think um, that's a testament to uh, your control as a human being. I have, uh, my bar right now in my basement is overflowing, like, because I just, I, I get gifted a lot of drinks. Yeah. Like, people come by and they just, and the bar's overflowing, and I, I never touch the hard liquor. I'm, I'm a beer guy, but I, yeah. uh, hard, like, hardly any hard liquor, and I don't know, even the beer consumption's really dropped down for me. I, uh, I bought a 2-4 on Friday for the long weekend, which usually- You got 2-2 left. Um, I, I, I- Got through it, but it took me three nights. Usually, that's uh, with help or just. Oh uh, no, just state. me, just oh, me. Okay. And that's usually, still a lot of usually, uh, well, usually that's like a, d- a day and a half. I would go through like at least two cases on a long weekend usually, but yeah. Now I'm just like I'm settling down. I'm I'm uh, I'm, well, I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm a bit younger than you, but I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it come. I find just feel like after a few beers, I just feel bloated as opposed to drunk. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I, I do though. I uh, I do enjoy going out west and drinking though. Yeah, uh, that's that's, <laughs> that's going to be done. If I go out west, we're going to get into a mess. I tell you, uh, Tom Bassett, who does a tour, uh, Big Dog tour. I love going out with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wind up places with a large native population, and then my Winnipeg roots come out to nice, me then. Nice. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm good with those folks. I'll, I'll wild, look, wild west. I'll look over there, and he looks, and I steal his drink. So, <laughs> you know, I laugh. You ever see someone steal a drink from a native boy? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, so it's that kind of fun. <laughs> I think a couple of them probably have seen that of you. <laughs> you know, and then uh, uh, was it Shane Clark. That's another fellow I enjoy, you know, pouring him down with every now and then. So nice. Every now and then, my uh, Darren Frost, who never drinks... But he's one of them boys that you got to watch uh, when he does, because he starts going back and forth to the uh, to the uh, to the ATM machine. Yeah, I'm buying everybody a double round. Oh, no, no, nobody needs a double round. Hold your money. And in a strip joint where they just don't even tell you what the bill is, they just take the money out of your hands. So yeah. then like you know, we don't. Want we'll that we'll just hold on to your card for you, sir. You just, just keep rounding them up. Just don't worry about no more drinks, Darren. We're good. So you, Winnipeg's where it all started, eh? Uh, yeah, for the most part. 
Nice. Um, you know, I was born there. Then my uh, family had some legal problems, so we skedaddled. What's the uh, so what's what what decade are we looking in? Well, I was I born in '58, and I guess I was uh, I guess I considered myself in America by the time I was you know before Kennedy was shot, <laughs> the first Kennedy. So uh, and then so I guess, you guys went to the states from Winnipeg? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there will be the family flipped a coin, heads New York, tails Chicago, so it came up tails. So Chicago's been like my second home. I'm going to Chicago on Friday. What are you going there for? Just, uh, it's one of my wife's first anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'll tell you what you got to do. Uh, Kingston Mines Blues Club. It's on North Halstead. It's near a university, so it's a relatively safe neighborhood. Yeah. You don't want to go anywhere too much on the south side or west side. That's where all the shootings you hear are. <laughs> uh, but they're still now robbing people outside of Oprah's uh, $8 million condo. So <laughs> that's the thing about Chicago. If we see that you're vulnerable, we're going to take you. But, um... Kingston Mines a Blues Club. It's open till like four or five in the morning. Oh, that'd be all right. Some blues. And they've got, blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 King, uh, um, Buddy Guys Legends is kind of a tourist trap, but you know you may want to run there, buy a shirt, run out. But for uh, getting shit faced and hearing music, I'd have to say that uh, Kingston Mines is the way to go. And they have two bands a night playing there. So the minute one band stops, another band on the other side of the bar <laughs> nice. starts playing. So you're running back and forth. All of oh, a sudden, you have really shitty seats to the show. Well, yeah, you had the best <laughs> seats and you had no seats. And then you can run across the street and go to uh, Blues, B-L-U-E-S, which is a small, real hole in the wall. But uh, they've got some great musicians, too. So Hole um, in the walls are my uh, my go-to places. Yeah, well, uh, everything in Chicago is a hole in the yeah, wall. I don't like anything too fancy. All you have to do is have uh, bribe money. To get a uh, have a to get a license. <laughs> so what were uh, what were mom and dad doing in Winnipeg before they uh, shot down in Chicago? Well, my mother uh, traditionally was always an accountant or a bookkeeper. My dad was uh, he did uh, he did. Uh, he did Kenny Robinson shit, you know. He, uh, uh, I just, I found out I had a sister I never knew just a few years ago, and she is always told by her relatives, "Oh, your father's got five whores up in uh, Red Lake that he's running right now." So, my father, he ran bootlegging joints. He, uh, he was a musician. He, uh, he uh, had dance studios. He uh, lived a life. I, some could say he pimped, but my mother said he was never a pimp. He just enjoyed generous women. <laughs> so um, you know, he just did. Uh, he just did shit that we did back then. Yeah, and uh, it's um, really rough though when you spend your when you spend your early teens trying to live up to that. Well, what's the relationship with you and your dad growing up? Are, here, oh, he passed when I was nine. Oh, when you were nine. Yeah, so I lost. We're him and your mom together until yeah. then. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. To the you know. Um, and uh, she never remarried or anything like that after that, you know. Um, she says the, the bar was set very, very high with him. <laughs> but uh, because he had that showbiz thing, I mean, um, I remember one year when uh, uh, Joe Lewis called him uh, New Year's Eve to wish him Happy New Year's, Joe Lewis, the Brown Bomber, um, back when he had bootlegging joints in Winnipeg. Um, all the jazz musicians would go there and hang afterwards. So when Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Louis Armstrong, Seraphon, any of them came to town, it was my dad's place. They went to hang out. It was my dad's place. Oh, nice. They copped their weed. Um, my dad would have my mom call up a couple of her girlfriends. So the party girls were there, yeah. and uh, which is great. I've had a couple of stories that have, uh, that have caused walkouts. <laughs> uh, the greatest walkout, I was telling the story about how uh, uh, Duke Ellington will only put the tip in. And because uh, he didn't want a woman clawing him up, but uh, I came up with the idea, and they probably figured most of the STDs was further in. <laughs> so Duke just put the tip in, and uh, there's a great I'll be story. Fine. <laughs> just, uh, just the tip. That's all you get, baby. And uh, <laughs> and uh, my mom told me the story that they were going up to the Marlboro Hotel where Louis Armstrong was staying, and he was with my mom's friend Risa. 
and the door was just, you know, cracked because they were expecting him. So they walk in. Louis in his boxer shorts with a uh, with a glass of scotch in one hand and his dick in the other, <laughs> and Reese is sucking his titties while he's wearing boxer shorts. <laughs> so I tell that story, and I go, uh, and I do a little bit of a Louis Armstrong. And in Montreal, I had a bunch of people walk out with that. So I yelled at him, your problem is you have no appreciation for jazz. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, uh, I came from, I, I came from a lively background and, uh, and, and now my kids, uh, one son wants to become, uh, an ice, uh, a CSIS officer. Okay. And, uh, my, uh, my, uh, middle daughter, I've got an older daughter that's within the radio business, but my middle doctor, uh, daughter, uh, is probably going to go into politics and I, I fear she's going to uh, go, uh, Tory on me. I think she's a bit conservative, <laughs> and uh, she's pro-life. But why shouldn't she? I, uh, I I didn't run off on her mom. I didn't offer her mom three hundred bucks to go get her clipped. So uh, why don't you get this fixed, baby? Because there's no future with was us. That, was that your dad's going right? Uh, no, my dad. My dad went off. His suggestion was, well, go have a uh, go have an abortion. If the woman said no, his second choice was, well, why don't we send uh, the child down to a relative of mine in Detroit? And the woman didn't see that either. So uh, my older sister never met my dad. Oh, no? No. She had all the stories and newspaper clippings. Like there was a... Let me take a sip of this here, poison. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, a story I only heard from his friends that at a Portage in Maine, he was with this one woman, and a couple of guys started calling the woman a nigger lover and what have you. So um, he had stabbed... He had, what, he had cut off three on the ass cheeks and left them laying on the ground. So my mom, she tried to, you know, write it down. Goes, oh, it's just a little pin knife. <laughs> and uh, and then a, uh, a friend of my father's explained to me that back in the day, guys didn't kill fuckers like they do now. But the real, you know, the, the real players, what they would do is they'd slice your ass cheek. Meaning you couldn't sit in a chair for six weeks till it healed. Yeah. You couldn't lay on your back. If you bent over too quick, they ripped open. So you got, you know, they got anywhere from six weeks plus to heal and think about what they did. So uh, my sister had the newspaper clippings and there weren't three guys. There were only two. Uh, gee, legends die hard. And uh, he beat the case. The judge said, indeed, you were protecting this lady and yourself. And uh, he, he walked. Yes. I don't think he walked out like Tupac did after he shot the two <laughs> cops in Atlanta. But he beat the rap. Um, what's, uh, so... Your mom and dad are they are they happy happily married for? Uh, they were this? happy till he died. But yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but he was doing whatever he was doing on the side. Well, his just... thing became mostly as a as a booking agent and what have you. You know, his health mm -hmm. didn't allow him to do the things he used to do. But you know, before I was how born, did he die? If you don't mind, he had uh, he had a bunch of strokes and then pneumonia settled in after I think his fourteenth one and closed him off. But what's interesting though, when he had like, the, he had the stroke, we took him to 11 hospitals in Chicago and because we didn't have healthcare or uh, two grand a deposit, we kept getting turned away even though obviously he was an ill man. So my mom called my aunt, my aunt called his old doctor who he hadn't seen in 10 years in Winnipeg. He picked up the phone, got my dad put into St. Boniface and we flew to Winnipeg the next day. So, uh, you know, anybody can complain about the healthcare system here, but as a 10-year-old kid, I learned that if you ain't got the money in America, you get to Canada. It, it is a shithole to be in. And then I learned, like, well, gee, in Canada, a country where he hadn't been in nine years, just yeah. welcome him back. Not even, didn't even ask him for the card. Just, just don't worry about it. You know, so you learn these things, and uh, they, they, these kind of things stick with you forever. So is that did you come back to Canada after that, or did you stay in Chicago? Uh, stayed in Chicago. Then when my mom caught me sneaking a knife to school in grade uh, grade nine, she said, uh, 
We can. If a lawyer friend of hers uh, sat down with me, so I represent guys every day that took a knife to school or took a knife off somebody. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was decided that it'd probably be better for me to go up to Winnipeg for high school. Mm -hmm. You know, a little less, a uh, little less knife. Well, actually, isn't Winnipeg the? Well, it's very knifey now. Yeah, it's very knifey. I like oh, to back think then it wasn't. I'd like to think I brought it, <laughs> yeah, guys. Well, I got, no, I, I guess I got this little thing I uh, learned in Chicago. Because my dad, my dad knifed these guys' ass cheeks back in the <laughs> back in the mid fifties. So I guess Winnipeg's always been knifey. It's just, it's just now like most things. Now that it's happy more often, the white people they talk about it. So. um... <laughs> So you come back here for uh, for high school? Yeah, I was here grade 10, 11, 12. What's, what's your What's your mom do? She stay down there? Yeah, she stayed there with my brother, who uh, later on went and joined the U.S. Navy. He was Navy intelligence, and then he drank himself out of the Navy. Uh, got an honorable discharge, and then when nine eleven happened, right when his country needed him, he was in no shape to. Uh, because he spoke eleven diff no uh, seven dialects of Arabic. Oh shit! So he was the translators that they needed uh, with all the spy shit. But by that time, too boozed uh, up. The booze and you know I think he had wet brain by the time he died. But uh, by that time, uh, all of his confidence and anything he could have been was all over. So yeah. you know that's why when I see uh, when I see some comics that are terrible terrible boozers, I'll just go, boy, I've, I've seen how this shit ends. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I got I got a few guys at the scene where I'm like, we should really all sit down and talk to that guy. And, but I don't know. You can't. What do you do? Unless they want to stop, there's nothing you can say that'll mean anything to them. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had to uh, help help somebody out through all that? I've done my talking, and you know, I I give some folks a little boot in the ass. But do you know, actually, probably was responsible for getting me to leave that powder alone was Norm Macdonald. Oh, yeah. I came back from. Uh, making a movie in Montreal. I guess I was there two, three months. It was one of these Canadian-made, no, uh, no-budget, non-union <laughs> uh, type deals. So he, so Norm looks at me and goes, man, do you ever look, uh, what did he say, do you ever look strung out? Hmm. So I said, Norm, you can't even do your laces up when you got Velcro. Shut the fuck up talking to me. <laughs> and then I walked away and I thought like, damn, if Norm MacDonald takes one look at you and says, you look strung, you better leave that cocaine alone, man. So was it a you stopped right there or was it a? Well, I, I weaned myself off. I went on a nine day uh, no coke, just booze diet. Yeah. And uh, as you do. And then after the nine, then after the nine days of boozing every night, I said, okay, well, I don't need the bowl. I'm kind of tired of the coke. And then I actually went to Hawaii for a month shortly afterwards just to dry out from women. So <laughs> it was because. Uh, oh, total man. detox. Oh, it was it was a great period of time, but uh, you know it's a it's a good thing that I made it. But I, I spent 30 days in Hawaii doing nothing but reading on the beach, listening to jazz. And the only time I spoke uh, all day long is if I ordered food. Giddy up. You know, it was, uh, you know, so it's... Uh, Sounds like a nice rehab. I yeah, think, it was my own plan. I think I might get a Coke problem. You know, well, it was the booze at that <laughs> never point. never been to Hawaii. You know. But, I mean, I had the kind of luck where I'd, I'd be dating two girls and they both show up at the club at the same time. <laughs> and, you know, and they, so you, you buy each of them a drink and, they're, and they wind up at the same table just glaring. Yeah. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Which one of it is? You got to make up a choice. You know, so uh, Mr. Balls to his ankles, I said, well, look, if either of you cared about me, you'd be trying to set up a threesome with the other one. But obviously, they're just both selfish. <laughs> just and going to plant this little nugget in your head, oh, girls. Yeah, you know, so...
So Kenny's a much kinder, gentler guy now. Were you 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 were a player in the day, eh? But still well, are, I think. Well, it's like I always got to, you know, like people say to me, "Oh, Kenny, uh, Kenny's a non-drinker because mm-hmm. I got to drive back to Mississauga, so I don't get shit-faced, <laughs> or I don't take, you know, I don't go in the alley and get high, so I got to yeah. call Viv. Viv, tell these motherfuckers what I was like, <laughs> you know." And, and then she just kind of rolls those eyes and goes, "Oh." <laughs> Is Viv your uh, your lady now? Viv is uh, Viv's worked the club for thirty five. Oh, oh, Viv. The, oh, yes. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The server. She's Teddy's lady, but yeah, yeah Viv's I love been. Viv, Viv's man. been with the clubs long, long, well, just as long as me almost. Yeah. She's been with, she's been with the Ux at least 30, 35 years. No, she's great, man. We uh, we we really get along, me and that. Uh, me you and know, that lady. so I mean, if she ever wanted to tell the history and tell where the bodies were hidden, <laughs> I mean, now that Freddie's gone, but I think Freddie and Viv came in around the same time. You nice. know, so they've seen it all there. You yeah, know, they've yeah, seen yeah. Kinnison walk and empty the room and, <laughs> and everything else. They went back when it was on Bay Street, which is now just a condo. Mm-hmm. Every, so, everything will just be a condo in that city, though. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, we need more people. Uh, no, we got enough people. I always wonder we, where the shit goes. There's three million people taking a dump every day. Where is it going? Uh, that's what you notice that nobody drinks from their sink. <laughs> it's all bottled water, right? It's all bottled water. I'm 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 against bottled water. Are you a bottled water guy? I you uh, care about the environment, Kenny. No, I don't really care about the environment, and I try to teach my children not to. <laughs> um, you know, it's always a big thrill to throw our McDonald's out the window on a highway. Then when the kids would always fight about whose turn it was, <laughs> so we had to stop that. But yeah, I, re- I guess I recycle, but, you know, it's like, hey, you're not supposed to put the black part of your takeout tray in recycling. Yeah. Well, let them separate well, it. Well, that's what I say. I say, uh, if you send it to them enough, they'll be like, maybe we should just start recycling this. And I don't, you know, I don't take a toothbrush and clean out the peanut butter jar so it's no. spotless. But apparently you're supposed to do all that shit when you recycle. Yeah. And, appa- and now the Philippines, they're sending our garbage all back to us. I know. I th- it's it's garbage is a very big problem. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. We we're gonna get off topic. I here. think we still burn it, but you know <laughs> somebody will yell at me for that. Let's burn it. Let's. I say we get like a conveyor belt to space. Let it just float into space, eh? Why not? It's infinite. Well, we can create all the plastic we want. Just conveyor belt. Or you think we just or you just open it up and let the gravity take it up, <laughs> and it would burn. Yeah. Why not? Uh, anyway, enough of this garbage talk. Um. So. <laughs> Winnipeg for high school. Yeah, you getting into trouble then, or uh, is this? Uh... No, I hung out with guys that got into trouble. But uh, I went to U of T for a couple of years, and then uh, the year I dropped out, I joined this children's theater troupe that toured throughout uh, California, Arizona, uh, Nevada, and uh, so that was my first like acting work. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was lucky though; I knew that I wanted to be a comic, so. Um, you know, I worked. Uh, Who are your inspirations? Like, what do you? Prior, you, where, prior is yeah, the prior. First, prior you can, first. You can access prior from Winnipeg, and I guess we're talking about seventies. Albums. Yeah, the old vinyl album. Yeah. Plus, my mother, she uh, she was the night uh, manager and the auditor for a club called the Blue Angel, that is no longer in uh, in effect, but it was owned by a, a Greek gentleman named Eugene uh, Farduli, and he booked in uh, he booked in prior for five hundred a week, and he booked in. Um, uh, Dick Gregory, and it was really cool because uh, was this was Dick Gregory at his height. He was getting ten grand for two weeks, and Mayor Daly didn't like all this shit that uh, Gregory was saying about the city and the Democratic Party and all that. Mm-hmm. So one of the mayor's bagmen went down to the Blue Angel to say to Farduli, "Look, this Dick Gregory's talking too much hurtful stuff about the mayor. You got to cancel him." And Farduli says, "It's impossible. I've already paid him in advance." Uh, 
So the the guy, the bagman, said, "How much did you give him?" And he says, "He's already been paid ten thousand dollars." So uh, the next day, another bagman came, gave him a check for ten grand, and said, "If you ever need a favor from City Hall, call us." Nice. So uh, my mom's boss had to call up Dick Gregory and went, "Yo, keep the money, but we can't have you." <laughs> so that was the kind of you know when comics cry now, "Oh, our freedom of speech," yeah. they know nothing about it. Uh-huh. You know, they, you know they were. I mean, guys like that were getting shut down or, or arrested or whatever. But they're still getting paid ten grand though. Well, <laughs> if you have a Netflix special. Oh, that's <laughs> fuck. That's uh, what did uh, what did Chappelle get another fifty grand for these new specials? Or is it uh, I, is this still a part of the original deal? I I don't know, but uh, you know, if it's he, a lot of money. I think it's crazy to give. The, like the if the numbers on the table for Eddie Murphy to get seventy million dollars for something he hasn't done in thirty years—that's how bad everybody wants it. It's not so, but how how can he give a good performance? Like how can he work an hour? Well, Eddie's gonna have the best black writers in comedy working for him, like he did his first two specials. Mm-hmm. You know, he had Mooney writing for him back then. He had uh, the Wayman Brothers all writing for them. Town said so. He had the cream of Hollywood of you know of uh, uh, of the of the Harlem Renaissance, if you want to call it. He had all of those guys punching stuff up and writing for him. So. Um, I imagine he's still going to go the same way, especially because it's something he hasn't done. And besides, he's Eddie. He does any impressions. You're going to lose your shit. He does any. <laughs> he does anything that makes somebody fifty feel like they're twenty again. They're going to be applauding. But you, do you, as a comic, do you think it'll be a good show? Yeah, because he's funny and he's he has. But and he's going to have the best damn writers behind him. Yeah, but he's still going to work that material. Like yeah, I don't know. Like how, how do you? Do you, do you do you just monologue that to yourself, or no? He'll he'll pop into the comedy store and do ninety minutes, and then leave. And then you've got some guy that moved there from Saskatchewan or from Milwaukee who has to go on afterwards when, the, <laughs> when everybody's running out to the parking lot to get a picture of the limo pulling off. And the next guy will try and do his seven minutes that's, that they keep him to a tight light too. That's funny. Same as Pryor did. Same as any of these guys when they're working out new material do it. Um. Did you ever read the uh, the Steve Martin book? No, no, he, I was never much of a Steve Martin fan. He, well, he talks about how he, no, I respect him. Uh, he talks <laughs> about how they they pretty much had to make him a headliner because he would just do this act out and just drag the whole audience into the street with him. Yeah, and then like the, the well, same show, with Andy Kaufman when he still would take the crowd and lead him out of the venue. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Then in the early days here, we had guys like Frank Van Keeken, who's now TV. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a TV producer and writer. So Van Keeken was part of doing that kind of thing. You know, Bruce McCullough, when he was before Kids in the Hall, when he was doing stand up, he would take things in that kind of direction. So mm-hmm. there was always that kind of uh, flavor or spirit going along with comedy. I don't think you could get a room full of people to leave right now. Don't think so? No, I don't. They'll be like, fuck this, man. We're comfortable. Think so? Yeah, oh, I oh, like, uh, no. to, to, oh, I like, thought that was a challenge. No, it'd be like, oh, no, because fo- if that was a challenge, oh, I could get him to leave. Oh, you could walk him. Yeah, but, like, if you were like, a- follow me to the street, I don't think, I, like, if you got a full of yuck yucks and you try to. Not even if there was a fire alarm going. <laughs> they'd have, they'd no, have I'm smell- checking my phone to see if it's a real fire. If it was burning <laughs> flesh, they'd want to videotape the, the victims. They wouldn't leave now. But but the people, people still get uh, indignant and offended and upset over things, so you can still get them to walk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you like walking? A- no, I want to sell them merch. I never liked the walking <laughs> part of it. You know, I always want them to be, you know, banging their drinks on their empty glasses on the tables, yelling for my name. 
And uh, one of you in know, Encore, and I look at the club owner and go, another hundred, or I let him wreck your joint. <laughs> you know, no, I, I was never into that, oh, watch me empty the room. Now, Ron Vaudry used to love that shit. Yeah. You know, but uh, I never really dug it. You know, I always felt terrible after they left because, you know, uh, you know, but after, you know, but then over the years, um, I find they walk less. So now, like, you know, like you just said, two people walked out of a show I did in London. I had 56 walk out of me in Halifax. <laughs> so, you know, what's two? And and I was, I, they say it was wilder back in, you know, in, in, in 50, you know, back when I had the 56 walkouts. But a mm. lot of, the, I had walkouts over race stuff. I said that, uh, that Halifax was, uh, that Nova Scotia was the Mississippi of the North. <laughs> and, you know, some people took, uh, you know, an exception to that. So you never, you know, you, you could do one abortion joke and get people to leave. Yeah. You know. Uh, what, what do you think of this, the way things are going, the sensitivity of the uh, the new age? You know what? I can't tell you because I've always, you know, I was walking them out in the 80s when everything was <laughs> was, was free and, 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 you know, free and go whichever way you want. Um, so, you know, I've always upset or offended some people. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's a... Over the last, I guess, 20 years, I guess it's a policy that Kenny Robinson cannot work in the month of December because it's Christmas. Well, don't nobody celebrate Christmas more than me, <laughs> you know? And they made they made naughty Santa. They made the bad Santas. All you got to do is have an agent that has the guts to say this is a different kind of Christmas show. But you can't even call it Christmas anymore. I, I make a, uh, I call it Christmas, and I, I intentionally do a dirty show right yeah. before christmas for my uh my weekly dope and mic happens every wednesday night dope and mic comedy i can never get that Cafe. name right because there's so many there's jokes and tokes yeah. so many things with dope and jokes in the thing right <laughs> dope and mic that's yeah that's that's a great title in fact i gave some other show credit for your wonderful yeah, show. yeah I, I remember that yeah <laughs> yeah good thing i don't sleep around a lot anymore i'll tell you that lucy's a great piece of ass and meanwhile i was talking about janet <laughs> do, do you have a lady now yeah, she swooped in on me after my mom died. I said she was like a vulture. Oh, she, you're vulnerable, she, eh? She jumped in when I was uh, just a, a, a very fragile, vulnerable uh, orphan. And uh, <laughs> she took advantages of me. Um, but I was trying not to have no damn girlfriend. You got How many kids you got right now? Just three. If three. I had more money, though, I would have had a lot more. Three. Is it rude if I have the same mom? or? Uh, one. Both women are named Kelly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it easy. Well, yeah, Kelly was a very popular name because uh, of Grace Kelly for women born from 61 to 64. Okay. Because there, there were women when I was trying to be, when I was being faithful to one of my Kellys, uh, women named Kelly would approach me. I used to live with a, uh, with, a, with a native woman named Kelly back in Winnipeg. So she showed up at a gig in Vancouver announcing to the staff before I got there that she's the original Kelly. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm Kelly one. She was, she was the Kelly best of the Kelly Beatles. So. So, um, yeah, so uh, I've had uh, one, uh, my first daughter, Chelsea, I had with, uh, with Kelly, uh, the, the one that I met at the London Yucks. What's, what's the age range here? Oldest uh, my kid. oldest is 29, okay. and my youngest turns 19 uh, next week. Okay, so, so I've got. Uh, so you're in your 30s, you start having kids. Yeah. So what were your 20s like? A couple of Kellys, eh? Uh, there's all I, no, because uh, I, I I was very careful. Oh, just got that back thing. I was very careful about uh, getting anybody pregnant because I didn't want anything to uh, to distract me from the goal of uh, of being uh, of being a comic and trying to hit the big time. And mm -hmm. then I guess I got thirty thirty one, and the biological clock went off. And then next thing I know, I was planning on moving to the states, and I got married, which wasn't one of the original plans. 
And then, you know, before we got married, uh, Kelly once says, well, you know, we, we need to build a strong foundation. And, and I go, yes, yes. And then uh, I was on the road. And then I, she calls me two weeks uh, to tell me that she's pregnant. And I went, well, so much for that strong foundation. <laughs> so we, uh, we starved in San Francisco for a year as I was trying to go more political and less uh, of the raunch. But, um, you know, then she came down with diabetes and I didn't have the money to for the health care, though. So he came back here so my daughter could be born and then went back to San Fran for a couple of months. And then the, the, the marriage just didn't have the legs to, to last it. So I had to make the choice, come back to Canada, be near my daughter and know I could make that child support. Check. Just one girl then? Yeah, just the one. Oh, with, uh, with, with Kelly, Kelly one. one. Yeah. Okay. Or head, uh, or you know, go to L.A. and be like a, a deadbeat father. And I said, well, I'm not going to do this to my child. So mm -hmm. uh, came back here and then... Uh, I guess I take it as like a different age now. Like, because now you don't really have to go to L.A. because everything's worldwide now, you know? Yes like, and no. You still got to go to L.A. You can go. You can't. But like you can... St if you're good enough, you can still get recognized wherever the hell you are nowadays. I don't know about that. No? I mean, you still... I mean, you know... Um, I sent in tapes. It was great. Uh, Messina. Rick Messina, one of the guys that I think he handles uh, uh, Alan and, uh, and a couple of the other guys, the guy that had uh, the King of Queens and what have you. Oh, um, Kevin James. Kevin James. Yeah. So Messina and Baker, they were uh, doing a Playboy special, and I sent the tape out to them. And then I was staying with my mom at the time because the marriage had broke up and uh, I was between countries. <laughs> and I had the bedroom I had when I was 15. Between countries, again. between Kelly's. Canada, United States, yeah. <laughs> so I get a phone call and they ask for me. So I say I wasn't there because I figured it was a bill collector. So they give me the they give me the name. So I see it. They, it was it was it was uh, Messina. It was Baker and Messina looking for me for a TV project. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called back 20 minutes later and said, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I lied to you. That was me. I thought you were a bill collector. So, of course, gee, what a guy this is now. <laughs> so perfect. I sent them my tape. And then they told me the problem is nobody here knows you. So, you know, this mm. doesn't matter what the hell I do in Canada. If they don't get to see you five times in a month at somewhere in L.A., yeah. then you don't count. Yeah, but now it's... Even with the internet. Even with the internet. But even, like, on the other note, you can, like... Uh Fucking people are coming, becoming famous doing YouTube videos, which is ridiculous. And then these people are getting booked in comic spots. Like they're going yeah, to, because they're draws. Yeah, they're draws. And then yeah. they just fucking take a shit on the stage. Yeah, well, all that came uh, came too late for me. Yeah. Well, that's you what know? I'm saying. Like, now yeah. it's not such an urgent thing to yeah. have to go somewhere to chase a dream where you can chase it on your phone if you want, if you're clever in enough. In fact, there's more than doing that. Do you know who I was? Uh, who I kind of always, who I always loved them, always respected. Craig Campbell. I was always afraid to take any time off from the stage. Not Craig. Craig had JFL roll out the carpet for him, and that didn't work. And then the development deal offered that didn't work. So what does he do? He told he goes he goes hiking in in India and eats <laughs> cobra meat for a year. Comes back. He swims with sharks. He just did whatever in the hell he... Then he goes and moves to England, and he became even more of a rugged man of action that when his money gets a bit short, he'll shoot up and steal the Edinburgh Festival or something. Nuts, eh? So that was a guy that, you know, I was... A, I was I kind of had that, uh, that Martin Sheen attitude from Apocalypse Now that every day I wasn't on stage, Charlie's getting stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where meanwhile, you know, Craig said, nah, brother, you better go get some R&R. &R. Well, it's like... Um... Stuart Francis, I was talking to him, and uh, 
he was he was he's just finishing up his like final tour. He's yeah, just, he's I can't believe up. the guy's saying final tour. Yeah, he's 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 uh, retiring, which I didn't know was a thing. But uh, I guess he must have made a shitload of money getting retired. But he was telling me how before this tour he hadn't been on stage for a year and a half, and mm. I, and but then he comes and does his tour with an all new act. Yeah. And I was like, I go, well, how do you work your act? And he goes, well, it's just one-liners, so I just say them to myself. Like, yeah. he, just, he just repeats them in his head and, like, says them to his wife and stuff. And But then I, I started thinking, because, like, I, I don't know, you do bits, I do bits, and, like, there's, like, a craft to crafting a well, bit. Well, sometimes you know your but, bits like, are good, you don't need a live audience. But, like, a, a, like a one-line guy, you're like, oh, that joke didn't work, I've got 500 more right yeah, here. Yeah, he knows his formula. Yeah. But, you know, I read this thing about Cosby, um... They asked him, how come you never go to the, you know, do you ever go to the, the comedy store to work in new stuff? He goes, I've been doing this stuff 40 years. I know how to, you know, mm-hmm. I can, I know how to do my job. So if he had an idea and a riff, he would just sit down and he did it. That was one that, you know, that was one that beautiful, plus he may have rehearsed when women were passed out. <laughs> so do you think this is funny? <laughs> so, you know, but. Puts a smile on her face. That was something that was something that Cosby, you know, was able to do. He says, no, I am a prior is famous for going to the clubs and working it out. You could watch him die and then, and you know, and then sweat. And then someone like Cosby, you never saw him in those places. And he walked on stage and sat down because he's at his own pace. And uh, he pulled the, you know, just reach in and here's the story I want to share with you folks. Mm-hmm. But you were always go, go, go. Yeah. Uh, how how go are you these days? Oh, I, I very... Are you more relaxed now? You're like, oh, Cosby knew what he was doing. Not I, the raping, but the... I seldomly leave the house unless there's money on the table. Yeah. It know? is tough, too. It's... it's. I don't like leaving the house. Or I used no to love to go just watch open micers. Mm-hmm. I used to like, you know, I used to want to go sit in the back and just watch what's coming up because I love watching the young gunslingers. I, yeah. I love to see who's coming and dropping something. But mm-hmm. then, you know, because of the Nubian show, I used to get surrounded by people that uh, I never would have any interest in having on the show bugging me to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, Jesus, you know, like, do I need a disguise? No, you don't need a disguise. You just keep your ass in. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's why... Um, what's my boy here? Um, oh, Jesus. There, there's guys who've been in the business already 15, 17 years, and I, uh, I'll say to him, you know what? Uh, you're one of my favorite, uh, you're one of my favorite new guys. <laughs> and, and he's got 20 years under his belt. So. Uh, that's great. Um, Nubian show, that's what, 24 Four years. Four years. 25 in April. Shit. You're having a big, big 25? Hope to have a couple of big 25s. I'm waiting to hear back from some people. And, uh, you know, do something a little bit bigger where, you know, hopefully that we might even be able to swing something with one of the networks for it. Nice. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, funny it's... thing, my, my son asked me if I've ever heard of a comic named Kevin Hart. <laughs> and I said, yeah, go in the garage, open up a couple of cardboard boxes that say receipts, and you'll see where, uh, where I got that. You'll, you'll find autographs of him. Uh, next to where I paid him $150. Because he used to drive from Philadelphia, do the Nubian show. Yeah, yeah. He brought Big J with him to open, you know, as, as an opener. I think I paid J 75 bucks and Kevin 200 Big J Oakers? Yeah. Okay. And then they both started crying once they cashed the money in and saw what the exchange on the dollar was. <laughs> so I was able to use Kevin on my TV show after hours. And I think that was the first time either him or Leslie Jones ever did sketch. Okay. But, um,. Imagine a guy with his with his pedigree having to beg for gigs. Huh? That's a goddamn <laughs> shame. If there ever was a comedy club shot up, folks. Guess where? No, no. So what? Um, what year? What's what's twenty five years ago? That's mid nineties. Yeah, I guess um, it was nineteen ninety five. 
And because uh, you started in the eighties, and I've seen I started about eighty eighty one. I've seen all the old posters and with big afros and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, yeah. there was uh, you for black guys. There was you, Ronnie Edwards. I brought I brought Ronnie. Was in. there a yeah, third? Yeah. Yeah, there was, was Evan, Car- Evan Carter, Greg Morton, Evan, yeah, Evan Car- and uh, Gene Clark, who was more of an actor but was doing some stand-up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. That was it in the entire country. If you ever saw more than four black people in the audience, it was probably Ronnie's uh, relatives. <laughs> Ronnie showed up at my show uh, like two years ago. That was and, awesome. But it, I had never met him before, and he walked in. I'd never even laid eyes on him, and yeah. I saw him. And I was like, that's Ronnie Edwards. Yeah. And he's like, hey. I go, Ronnie Edwards. He's like, yeah, man. And like... I was just like, oh, my God. It was so funny because all, you know, all of us guys had a different act and a whole different attitude about things. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember one night there was uh, Greg Morton, myself, and Ronnie outside uh, outside the downtown club, the one that was on uh, Bay Street. And uh, a couple of comics go, oh, it must be a black meeting. So Greg Morton was like, man, can't we just, as you always have to bring up race, can't we just be outside just, just you know, just talking like it would be if it was anybody else? And he walked away kind of upset. And Ronnie's like, mm-mm, I ain't got time for this nonsense. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're sitting here discussing which one of you blue-eyed devils we should take out first. <laughs> so that was a perfect example of the three different approaches mm-hmm. that we, you know, that we, we we dealt with things. And like, you know, yeah. like when I first moved to town, Evan Carter was like the only black comic working. So, you know, of course, I had that prior attitude, and he was more the school of cause. Yep. So I sat, and so I walk up to him and go, so I hear you the top nigger in this town. <laughs> and he's a son of a judge. That's not where he's coming from. <laughs> you know, he's going, oh, man, I'm not into that. I just want to do my show and do my act. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So any kind of competition or rivalry just got slapped out because we weren't hey, well, coming for the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, um... Is there, like, what, what, did you experience a lot of the negativity? Like, that guy, like, a, a black meeting or whatever? Or, oh. Um, like, with the comics, not to... Uh... It was more subtle then. Yeah. It was more subtle. Uh, I actually found that, you know, I, I saw more guys for uh, a real idea of what they were really like when the Nubian show first started. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, there was some uh, there were some chippy attitudes, and I had just started taking... Uh, antidepressants so i became highly agitated you know don't fuck with my calm you won't like it if i'm not calm so uh once again craig campbell had to take me aside and go why are you so hostile and and angry people love you and respect you and i went really man you know and then you know so i chilled on that and got off the meds i was taking after i almost took a club owner's eye out with a plastic (laughs) bottle (laughs) crafty well sometimes you you know sometimes it's good to let them not know if you're if you're stable or not (laughs) so you know and they would you know i can't go any further with this but yeah it's good for them sometimes to worry about you yeah 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 um what so (laughs) if you're doing uh let's talk about the yucks road gigs in the 80s yeah is they would never send three black guys out. Didn't have three black guys to send out. Well, you got, we just, <laughs> no, we just, but no, they would never have. No, no, no. They would never have. But, you know, but the thing is, like, when we went out west, I went out west as a middle or an MC. When the, the, I was out in Edmonton, the, Edmonton was the first Western club they opened. I was there the second week. Like, Mike McDonald mm-hmm. was there the first week with Horowitz and Mark. Mm-hmm. And then I was there the next week, I think, with uh, Pat Bullard and Gary David. You know, so when like for a while in the in the late nineties there is a West versus East kind of rivalry going when guys are writing blogs and nasty negative shit like that. Mm. 
And, you know, I, and people, when I go out west and, you know, people say, well, what are you going to do about that West East thing going on? I'm going, man, I tamed the West. I'm not worried <laughs> about these bitches. <laughs> you know? You know, when, you know, so, and when I go, and I, I didn't have any of the stress any of the other guys would, you know, would have sometimes for some of the Western comics. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I envy uh, the days before social media. I think this would be a lot funner business without all the fucking shit. Uh, it would be. It would be. Uh, also, easier to get away with doing outside gigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, oh, uh, you, you drove to the town to see the poster, did you? <laughs> oh no, there was always rats and informers, though. Ah. There's always somebody gonna, you know, or somebody, or somebody's job was just to see, you know, and mm-hmm. and because comedy is relatively new at the time. Anytime you saw comedy tonight, uh, yes, and who's playing there? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so uh, myself and Wayne Fleming, I keep naming all these dead guys, <laughs> all these dead cowboys. Anyway, uh, we came up with aliases so we wouldn't get caught. So nice. uh, uh, I went by the name of Otis Cook, <laughs> took Sam Cook and Otis Redding. So I said Otis Cook. And uh, I told the story that uh, my pre-intro uh, and my bio was I won the... Uh, Funniest, uh, funniest person without a job in Gary, Indiana contest. <laughs> so you even had a rank. We even made up a biography for this shit. Oh, that's not hilarious. To get caught. It was really funny because uh, yeah, we got we got Otis Cook tonight. Funniest guy without a day job in Indiana. No, without a job. <laughs> oh, without a job. Without any job. <laughs> not a day job, bitch. No job. <laughs> so uh, Mike Wilmot, uh, he'd go to these other gigs and he go, man, this guy named Otis Cook was in here three weeks ago. He did this bit, did this bit, and Mike's going. Man, this Otis Cook's a prick. He keeps he's just stealing, stealing Kenny Robbins' material. And then Michael's, hey, have you met this Otis Cook guy? I said, you're looking at Otis. And then he just laughed because he hadn't caught on yeah, yeah. that uh, uh, that like, I was. Fuck, I need an alias now. Oh yeah, the slogan was uh, "Book Mr. Cook." Oh yeah, we thought of that for four days. So uh, <laughs> you know, so never got caught back then doing that. And uh, see now these new guys they just you know they have their own regular regular week somewhere and and nobody gets their hands smacked anymore. Yeah, I, well I do my I, I got my weekly but it's I don't make fucking money off this. There's that's not the point. It's back uh, in the day there was it, executions for anybody that did that shit. Um you know? what about open mics? Like cuz there were no be consi- open the, no. open mics uh, open mics were pretty much uh non-existent. Really? You know, and I wish they were too. To this day, because you know what? There's two. You know why motherfuckers ain't paying comics any money anymore? Because open mics. Because of open mics. Yeah, but if you like if you... back in the day, uh, any fox and fiddle or anything with a fo- with a fox and a hound or any of that kind of shit, those are gigs where your MC would uh, would probably make one fifty to two hundred. Your opener got a hundred, and your headliner is two fifty or three. Mm-hmm. And you had them. You had four of them on a Saturday night: Airport Fox and Fiddle, Mississauga Fox and Fiddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this that out and you know uh, uh, all over we had them and if they wasn't if it wasn't happening on a Sunday night it was a Tuesday night if it wasn't a Tuesday night it was maybe a Wednesday or Thursday it was, that was during the boom like I mm-hmm. used to say that's when openers could afford to lose 500 a week in the card games yeah yeah but now you've got all the, these same clubs now and they're passing out drink tickets and this guy I got a new room well they well yeah well it's not a paying room yeah yeah, yeah. and then I, I had this interesting conversation with my boy Natish he says, well, you know, I said, stop doing these fucking mics, man. And he goes, well, how am I supposed to get good enough to get paid? And I said, well, you know what? If who's going to pay you when you are good enough if they used to having you for free? 
So back then, you know what you did? You you know you 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 called in and you hoped that you got on a Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, or a Thursday night at Yucks. Mm-hmm. And your open mic might have had you know your your spot where you developed was following you know like you 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 know you might have had somebody. Uh, Trying to think of who might have been Rakoff might have been an MC or Vaudry might have been an MC or uh, 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 but anyway you got to go on after say somebody like Steve Schuster, Glenn Foster, uh, or you know then myself or if you got when you got your first headline week at the club, you know because um, there wasn't a whole lot of work going on you had Pat Bullard never mind Mike Bullard Pat Bullard I who heard, was the boy. I heard he was a machine. Man, and so good looking, mm-hmm. and, and you know, as Donnie Coy say, they uh, we'll have to get the chairs re- uh, reupholstered after Bullets here next week, <laughs> and you know, just handsome and fast, and, and what happened and, to his brother? Uh, just uh, I well, I, Mike, I guess was blessed with other things. That guy, but, he really likes the news, eh? He loves the reporters. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, what was that? She's now on. Uh, she used to be on CNN semi regularly, but now she's on. Uh, PBS. Okay. Yeah. So no, I mean, if you got anything between years, you're gonna check out a newscaster sometime in your life and say, "Hey, <laughs> you know." So I was. I, with... I always found Canadian newscasters not that pretty. I never really watched Canadian news. No, it's you depressing. Know? Well, it's not depressing. It just doesn't have all that great stuff. I see too much CP24 every day. It's fucking. Well, I watch that to see guys I used to work on the radio with. Hey, this is my man. <laughs> you know. What'd you do on the radio? Uh, I was morning man on uh, Flow from 2001, 2003. Okay. Uh, with, you didn't like the mornings, though, eh? Oh, I hated them. And plus, uh, to me, uh, they were telling me radio was not showbiz. Like, we'd have staff meetings, and they say, uh, does anybody think that their job only uh, consists of the hours when they're on the air? And I was the only one that raised my hand. <laughs> me? <laughs> you know, so, you know say, oh, no, no, no. You have to go to uh, schools for Black History Month at 1 o'clock um, after you've been on the air since 5.30. Yeah. And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> and we need Personal you to cut appearances. this. They need you. We need you to cut this commercial, Kenny. Well, I'm a member of Actress, so unless this is an actor concept, you know, like, man, this guy's more trouble than he's worth. So, you know, and then I didn't know I Did had... Did you have a, a morning team? Yeah, and they, they've both been great. Mark Strong, I think, probably deserves a ring for his work with the Raptors, and he does all the TV shows because he's got that golden velvet... He's got that black velvet voice that's just so perfect. Okay. And Gemini, so they've, they're both now with a radio station since then. But Nate Downer and I, we used to do a talk show, a phone-in show after the regular show. Mm-hmm. So... uh Downer, uh, he's been with CBC, then uh, CP24, and of course his claim to fame or infamy will be the time when he interviewed Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mike, uh, why would Rob Ford uh, ask a convicted rapist for an endorsement? You're a piece of shit. I thought you were a nice guy, but please, Mike, we're on TV. Fuck you. (laughs) You a bitch-ass nigga. You know that? You a bitch-ass nigga. I remember that. Oh. Quite funny. Poor. I hadn't seen him in years. That clip still comes around every now and again. It'll pop up. Oh, it'll never die. Actually, you know who plays that a lot is, uh, like, Bumper's going to commercial is uh, Howard Stern. Okay. And I was just like, you're a fucking bitch. And I'm like, yeah. hey, CP24 made it to the Stern show. Oh, and then <laughs> Russell Peters comes in afterwards, and, and Tyson's friends with Russell. So Tyson goes, who's that bitch-ass nigga that said he was your friend? And Russell <laughs> goes, what, who are you talking about? He said he was your friend. And Russell goes, everybody in the city's my friend. What are you talking about? <laughs> so then he gets in and sees, uh, fi- only found out what the shit that hit the fan was in is, Mike's on the way out. You know? Oh, funny. So, um, did you, you? So when you're doing the radio, you must does that that fucks up the stand up if you're getting up every morning at five a.m. Um, well, 
What it really fucked up was me trying to watch Politically Incorrect every night. Bill Maher had that show. My wife go, you know you got to get up at 5 or 4.30. I'm just going to, I'm only staying up to 11.30, honey. It's not like I'm out drinking and doing lines or anything. I'm, I'm right late in bed watching TV. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, you leave the house at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and all you're thinking about is uh, when do you get to sleep again. Yeah, but you can't because you got to go to a school because it's oh, Black they, History Month. Or they want you to, they want you to host, a, you, know, you have to emcee a, a movie preview that night before. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, the movie's at 9. And, of course, you're going to stay and see the movie. <laughs> you know, so there's always different things that, that made it rough. But uh, I loved radio. I just didn't dig the business of it. You, didn't you have... What was your old TV show? Uh, a buddy, I... Uh... I had uh, I had two. We had After Hours, which ran 13 episodes. Yeah, my buddy Nigel, who does the the, the, the music for this podcast, he uh, he talks about that show. Yeah, we were we, we had some great stuff on there, you know. And had Cardinal Fishel do my sound... Do my theme song and everything. Nice. And... Uh, what was this show? It was, it was stand up and sketch. Was it on Comedy Network? Yeah. Now CTV Comedy Channel. Now, uh, yeah. And then I had, uh, I had a one hour special with Ronnie and I called uh, uh, Thick and Thin that was on CBC, and we had some really great um, numbers. But one of the one of the inside notes on it was that uh, it was all too racial. He says, "Well, didn't y'all say y'all thought that you could do a, you know, you said you wanted a, you wanted a book of Negroes, but now yeah. we talk about being Negroes, <laughs> so you know we don't mind them being black, but do they have to talk about it? Well, yeah, that's what that was the purpose of it. You so. can't drop the N word on uh, CBC, can you? I have, and I done. Oh yeah, have. oh I've done all kinds of bad things. <laughs> One time, uh, what's my man that used to be the the newscaster that retired after all the years on CBC? CBC newscaster." Um, been there forever, and now they've got Peter the, Mansbridge. Yeah, Mansbridge is retired. Yeah, so they had that. me on for election uh, years one one time for the election coming up one time. So uh, Mansbridge, they asked each one of the pe- people on the panel, I being the only comic, um, what should be. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, not Harper. It was somebody else's. Uh, what should be their new campaign song? So. Uh, I remember when I said, uh, I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. And Mansbridge just, you can see one of the put his hand in front of his face. And uh, they didn't have me back at CBC no more. But uh, no, so, <laughs> so the, it was such a great look on his face. And and I said, well, yeah, because, you know, he's got. But when a, you, you book Kenny Robinson, you get Kenny Robinson, right? Hey, I found out, uh, or as Kevin Fox said, even the clean scrub down, uh, as good as he's going to get, Kenny Robinson is still a risk. <laughs> so, and I found that out with someone, you know, I've done a couple of fundraisers and uh, I've got standing ovations at some stuff for unions. And then uh, I've done some stuff that the minute you do one, Ob- one Obama joke, even though, you know, everything about it was pro Obama, you get everybody looking at each <laughs> other and then not caring for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, now they call them edge lords, but I blame that. I blame that on Breslin. Yeah. Cause Breslin encouraged it. The, he encouraged the filth. No, he encouraged edgy. He encouraged the, the comics back then oh. to push it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and, and he I, still does. Yeah, he still does. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know, but like, then I go back to Chicago and, you know, the, and, and work some of the clubs there and they go, my God, where does she? There's no end to the things she'll say. Well, then when I was in South Africa, I uh, a lot of the black comics were coming to see me, and then they bring more of them down because uh, 
you know, oh, you have so much freedom, you know. And <laughs> so I was passing out copies of my CD, like Bibles, to those fellas, nice. you know. But uh, but I upset a lot of people in South Africa, and I said, well, you know, the concept of one man, one vote's only ten years old here to you people. So I guess I got to <laughs> cut you some slack on that one. Um, so when you start the Nubian show, who's mm-hmm. uh, who who are the guys coming in at this time? Mid nineties. Oh, we started. Well, Orson John- Payne was our first comic. When's John Paul start? John Paul came on about third or fourth show in. Yeah. Yeah. Russell Peters was with us at the beginning, very beginning. In fact, it was the Nubian show where Russell got seen by Mr. Joe Bodley, which got him his comics and then his comedy now that got dropped and then got him, you know, worldwide play. Mm -hmm. Uh, He may not have got seen by the powers that be to get on TV if it wasn't for the Nubian show. And plus, we had a tightness. You know, I had to, you know, I'd warn him what to expect from some of the fellows and how they're going to freeze him out and everything. You know, I mean, people may embrace Russell now, but, you know, I remember when, you know, somebody said, are you trying to say that that pack, he's funny? I'm saying, do you not hear him getting laughs? <laughs> you know, motherfucker who don't, you know, so, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was ugly even then. Sean Majunder was supposed to be with us, and then he backed out because he didn't think it was going to be any good. So I didn't let him on for about a year. Because I said, man, you can't jump ship. So, so it was off. a core group of guys at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a core group. Any girls? Yes. Uh, there was uh, Fawn Noel, who's no longer in the business. Um, Taryn uh, Della, who's, who's no longer uh, doing the business. She's doing other stuff. Poetry, spoken word, writing, uh, broadcasting, what have you. Uh, so we had those two, and then we had actresses that would try to do stand-up. Then we had, uh, for a lovely for a period of time, we had the lovely uh, Sakura, uh, Satori Shakur, who's originally from, uh, originally she's from Detroit, and she was up here because she met some guy and fell in love. So she was an actress and a singer, but she used to be a bride of Funkenstein. Okay. With uh, 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 George Clinton and P-Funk and Parliament and all that. So uh, it was great. They just did on uh, Tales from the Bus, they did a cartoon version of George Clinton, and they brought her oh, nice. in there. So they, she goes, I didn't know what they were doing. I was just sitting there talking, and what they did was they, they videotaped her and then made a cartoon of her talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was going, uh, yes, the you know the the when, you know the more drugs that we did, uh, the, the music wasn't always as good. You know that was her, but she you know and she was beautiful, and she, you know she came out and did great stuff. And you know every time I had a chance to use her as a writer or performer on any TV, always did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we had a core group, and then John Paul came in. Uh, Mr. Moe was with us from the beginning. Oh, from the buzz. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Moe was with us from the beginning, and then Mr. Whatever. Mo- what's he doing now? He's uh, he's working with kids at risk. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, he totally said, you know, screw this showbiz life, and uh, he's uh, a counselor and uh, and doing great great things. In fact, he sent one uh, one kid that he's been working with to me to uh, be part of my comedy workshops that we're doing. So the but Moe brought in Gavin. Gavin brought in Ron Jossel. Nice. Um, so then, and then they were just all starting to, you know, flow in. So then, it, 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 you you start have to break up the stage time, then, right? Well, we always had more comics on our show than ever because in the beginning nobody had more than five minutes or seven. Yeah. That's why we used, that's why we always have six or seven comics, and then because now at my age I I don't write shit down and they I'll tell somebody in April that they're doing the August show and <laughs> then I forget it. Then August they show up and I go fuck one more. And I'm gonna write their name in and, and I say man, well that's that's less money I'm keeping because I gotta pay this motherfucker too, you know. So was the show a hit from the start? I was doing a tour. I was doing a three or four week tour out west, so I had no idea. I I kept calling everybody. How's how's your material? You get on stage and you know, and I, I spoke to Mark and he made sure all my guys got on Monday nights, mm-hmm. where uh, a lot of the back in the in the day on Monday nights when the amateurs got on, a lot of the boys would come off the road and they would drink in the back and they'd heckle. 
So um, I, I let them know that they only got two weeks left to get ready for this show. And if anybody's going to heckle my crew, you know, then let's step outside and make this Fist City. <laughs> so, and the guy's like, man, this, this fucking Kenny. Kenny's kind of changed. <laughs> you know, because I knew, you know. I, 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 he wanted to create a stage. Plus, I, 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 each and every one of those kids told me what they were told and how they were dealt with by the people that were the gatekeepers at the time. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it wasn't a happy, hey, let's all do a show. It was kind of like, fuck them. You know, it was more militant with a lot of the beginning. And, yeah. and there were some times when John Paul called me up, you know, I'm going to kill these motherfuckers. You know, I said, come on, <laughs> come on, chill down. And, and you know, we, we were a crew like that. Um, but I had no idea of the turnout. And then some of the comics were like, you know, just giving away tickets because we didn't think, you know, we were led to believe that it wouldn't be a big thing. But like Jeff and Mark were down for the opening night. Because uh, we turned away uh, 200 people back at the Uptown Club where the, uh, yeah. uh, where the numbers were 417 was the capacity. Oh, my. So can you imagine 200 people being turned away from a room that holds 417? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, how can we do this every day? I and can't. it's kind of like, well, I don't know. I ain't got enough comics to do it. I mean, the hardest thing about the Nubian show was keeping it going the first two years because I didn't have a, I had a very, very shallow talent. Was it talent always, always monthly? or was yeah. It, yeah. We almost we tried to go twice a month for a while, and that kind of split up what I thought it would do. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, that was kind of tough. But then what saved us, what saved our ass till I was able to get, till the comics were able to develop enough to become headline our own shows was uh, the Detroit comics would come up. And this is before 9-11. It was great. Um, you know, like Big Daddy Fitz. more freedom to Oh, crossing the go. border was easy. Mm-hmm. But Big Daddy Fitz, like, said, have a, a, one comic cancel, cancel me. So I call it Big Daddy Fitz. And I say, yo, man, I, you know, I, I, my can- headliner canceled me at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Where are you? I'm in Baltimore. And I said, fuck. He goes, what time's your show at? I said, 8.30. Let me see. <laughs> he goes, if I get there, he says, yeah, I'll do it. And he goes, I got some comics in the car with me. A couple of them get on. I said, shit, man, you show up. I'm putting them all on. So, <laughs> excuse me. So Big Daddy drove Tank in the Army. <clears throat> he was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, 300 pounds. You don't call a guy Big Daddy unless he's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Big Daddy drove that Tank Cadillac of his from Baltimore to Toronto, changed in the bathroom, Rolled out, open door, about six, seven comics spill out. And I said, shit, I got, I got, I got names of filling dates for the next four months now. And then every Detroit comic that came would bring a buddy of his mm-hmm. so I could see him and get booked. Problem is, the buddies started smoking the guys that were bringing them. Okay. So, right? so like, say, uh, Kool-Aid brought Foolish. Okay, so come there. Uh, so then Foolish smoked Kool-Aid. So I gotta have Foolish come back. They all had the great nicknames. So then Foolish would come back with somebody else with with the mighty snow cone. So snow cone would smoke Foolish, and then snow. So I book snow cone. Snow cone brings somebody. Somebody smokes snow cone. So it was like That's crazy. Yeah, you Everyone know. Everyone re re upping. Yeah, so you know each cat would bring his buddy. You know the the you know the only guys that didn't happen to was uh, Big Daddy Fitz, and uh, my man Mike Bonner. You know, and is it uh I guess if you're turning people away, you got a good rotating crowd. It's not always the same people. You can. Uh... It wasn't well for a while. We had regulars. We, yeah. I've seen the regulars change over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody say, "Well, you haven't had anybody really new in a long time." Well, that means I ha- it came to the point where I no longer. Uh, had to bring in the Americans because we started to develop our own, which yeah, yeah. was always part of it. 
But you know, but we also had trouble with the Americans after 9-11. One guy uh, owed back child support, so Canadian customs wouldn't let him in. Mm-hmm. One boy had a, 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 had a, re- a record for uh, possession. So they turned away him one border, turned away at another border. Damned if the third border didn't let him in. But I said, <laughs> I can't have that kind of stress where I don't know if my, if my headliner's going to make it. Just driving along the Niagara River until someone lets you in. Oh, right? he says, man, he said, couldn't get in at the bridge. I'm going to try the tunnel. Damn, bridge and tunnel. I'm going to try Sarnia. Hey, Kenny, I'm in. <laughs> you know, so we, we had that. I mean, when, when you got guys come, that can't come across anymore because of child support. You know, and that was that was way before we had Cedric Newman. So um, <laughs> poor Cedric, I beat on him viciously. He's but a it, he's a good cat. Oh, and he's a great comic, but he's another one of the guys that developed that. You know, mm-hmm. sorry, I don't need to bring guys in from Detroit anymore. Yeah, yeah I, we we already got this. Save, yeah, save your uh, save your gas. You know, but I mean, there are there are some, but I need to go. I'd love to go down to Detroit and see some of the cats I haven't. There used to be, uh, there is one comic I haven't used him in a while because he screwed me around on one gig that I booked and we sent him train fare and he just never showed up. Said he was on the way and cashed in the train ticket and some real ghetto <laughs> shit. Um, but he used uh, he would come in and he would just destroy the room and he he used to do this bit about uh, white guys getting stabbed in the movies. You know, and they go stab. And, and, and anyway, he goes in this whole bit uh, uh, where you're going, going stab, 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 stab. <laughs> and you could still hear the next night, three nights later, you could still hear the room laughing and hear stab, stab. <laughs> so it's like his room, his, his material and the laughter were still in the room That's three, great. four days later. You know, there was some kind of voodoo on that. Oh, man. Holy shit. I just realized the time's getting away from us here, eh, Alex? Yeah, that's why I usually do two, three-hour uh, podcasts. No, I, uh, I, I wish we could do that. We're, uh, we're, we're an hour in and out, but uh, yeah, see, I don't even think we got to your, uh, your second child. No. You told me about the first one, and then oh. we just went off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how do you back? Good thing I didn't tell you about the ones who were aborted. <laughs> no, I got in trouble with a comic lately. Well, that's not trouble, just some comic I don't know, so it doesn't really matter, but... Uh, he started slamming on the thing that I was uh, anti-abortion. And I said, no, I'm not anti-abortion. I'm just anti-you. <laughs> but, uh, I wish you were aborted. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> But then I thought, like, well, you know, then somebody said that he was shaming you. And I said, well, first of all, I hate that expression, shaming. Yeah. And I said, well, how in the fuck am I supposed to be shamed? Because I ain't, and, you know, because, you know, I believe do what you want to do. In fact, I got all kinds of great jokes about it. <laughs> but do what you want to do. And for me, you know, I, I, I'd i rather have a child and, and buy them skates and watch them play hockey and, and spend my mornings going, you know, driving to Pittsburgh <laughs> to watch a tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and see my boy as a goalie get in a fight with somebody who was in his crease in Cleveland, you know, <laughs> than just think that he got vacuumed up one day, you know. So, you know, so. So you can't shame. I, 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 how, I'm, I'm shameless. How can you shame me? I hate that expression. Oh, well, you shouldn't shame them for this. Hey, sometimes motherfuckers need to be shamed. Exactly. You know, that's, except for I had a great keep order. I had a great line in the last Nubian show that I know I have to go. Um, I did, I did some old stuff about abortion. How there was this young girl, 22 years old, and she had to have an abortion. It wasn't mine. And uh, I met her to comfort her, and she's going. I feel like such a murderer. And I, I hugged her. I said, "No, honey, you're not a murderer. The doctor that performed the procedure, he's the murderer. <laughs> said, but your pussy is a crime scene. So why don't you put them high heels on and wrap some of this yellow tape around you and show Uncle Kenny what you're all about?" <laughs> So I dropped that, and then I said, it's no, it's no man's business. And I said, the only person, the only people that got less to say about abortion than a man 
would be lesbians. And I had two like lesbians sitting right next to the table. And I said, because some people <laughs> gasp. I said, say what you want to say. Ain't a bitch in the world get pregnant from a tongue plugging in there. <laughs> he says, ain't a, so you can lick it and lick it all you want. You ain't knocking anybody up. You got less say than a man. And then I could see after the show, the two of them were trying to approach me. But she's like, I ain't got no time for this. You know, so I, I, didn't, I didn't stop for the con. I didn't run. Yeah. But I just let them know I wasn't approachable for, you know, any debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are my jokes. They're fucking, know, take it easy. Not only are they jokes, but, you know, prove me wrong. <laughs> Lick her now in front of me and show me a baby in nine months. And I'll support it. Oh, uh, too funny. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we, uh, we didn't even scratch the surface and, uh, I apologize that we are just an hour here, but mm. I got a big gig tonight, Kenny. Big Where are you gig. Working? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, host- thing. I'm hosting Yuck Yucks tonight. Oh, the amateur night. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got to foster some young talent like you have done so much over the years. And then you've got your thing happening tomorrow night. Yeah. Wednesday. You should come by sometime. I might have to, um, there's a comic friend that was, I was friends with in San Francisco, uh, that may be in town tonight. And uh, he said he wanted to go to the underground because he'd read about it. Yeah, so I don't even know if they got a Tuesday show right now. But... I don't. I think he just gets in tonight. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm in touch. It's... So maybe I'll maybe I'll shoot down with him, buddy. Um, come on by, man. You got a you got an open door policy. Yeah, we, uh, you we... know, and he's a funny cat. Like I said, one of the few guys that I you know I, I, well, I made friends with a lot of guys back at David Feldman and mm-hmm. and guys I'm still pals with uh, Margo, uh, Margaret uh, Margaret Margaret Cho. Used to drink with her. And uh, my wife Kelly won. You say you going out to hang out with Margaret Ho again? <laughs> so <laughs> you still uh, you still hang with Russell at all? Yeah, still doing shows with him. Uh, yeah, he, about once a, once every year and a half, he t- he he puts me on a first class ticket, and I get picked up by a Russian uh, uh, chauffeur, and That's then right, we eh? go somewhere. And uh, come on, you know, and <laughs> get and, that private jet going. Have a oh, good time. I, I've only been on a private jet once. That's when uh, he was going to be leaving for uh, his world tour in a day or two, so he didn't want to spend the four hours to drive back from Tempe, Arizona, to L.A. Yeah. So he got the private jet, and so we get on it, and he goes, "Damn, this." This this an old one. I said brand new to me. <laughs> he said no, that's the newer one. Oh, and uh, that's funny. Complain <coughs> how old your jet is. <laughs> oh, by I me, mean, it's great. I mean, I I spent one birthday with Russell with him and uh, the guy that wrote uh, Funky Cold Medina was partying with us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like you know. So yeah, I call him the Brown Sinatra. Nice. My uh my 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 good friend uh, Tim Golden, who's a, a big listener of this. Mm-hmm. Um. He uh, sent me a text one day. He was in a cafe or a diner in San Francisco. He's down there on business. He's a lawyer. Yeah. He's a very funny comic uh, as well. Um, and he's like, he goes, uh, Kenny's, Kenny's in a booth across a restaurant with Russell Peters right now. Yeah. And I was like, well, fucking go say hi. And he's like, I don't want to bug him. I'm like, just he's go say He's from Winnipeg originally, isn't he? No, no, he's from Boston originally. Okay, okay. So uh, I, was, I told him over text, I go, just go say hi. And then uh, the he next did text. did a spot that night. Yeah, the next text I got from him, he goes, he goes I'm opening tonight. And yeah. Like, there you go, man. Yeah, because he introduced himself to Russell and I, and then Russell said, you want to go on? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Russell's so generous. <laughs> He is so generous, you mm-hmm. know. He's, yeah, uh, Timmy Golden, good cat, listens to the yeah. Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Where can the people find you, Kenny? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook 24-7. That's so <laughs> Kenny Robinson Facebook. And, uh, oh, I'm doing uh, the uh, Brampton uh, Comedy Festival uh, September 11th, the Rank and Vile. There We're going to be at the Rose Theater. 
September 11th. Yeah. Celebrate that holiday, people. Well, you know, if <laughs> if we don't do it, the terrorists win. <laughs> if, I, if, we, if Darren and I don't bring rank and vile to the people, then then the, the, the PC terrorists win. Nice. Well, check, uh, check out Rank and Vile at the Brampton Comedy Festival September 11th. And if you don't want to make your way all the way to Brampton... Um, Dope and Mike that Wednesday night is a, a, a dog-friendly show where everyone's, all the comics have dogs, and we encourage the audience to bring their dog down to the underground, and uh, we're going to have a little best-in show. Okay, so, uh, and uh, the last Sunday of every month, Nubian show, uh, Yuck Yucks 224, Richmond Street West, 9676431, or go to yuckyucks.com for tickets. Look at that. Here, uh, extension play that radio. 2244. Don't put your extension All in, the Alex. extensions have changed. I, I try to call on a book on for a spot. I'm there like, it used to be one, two, three, what the hell? So now you got to email to get on and stuff. I'll, I'll right? be plugging your show again uh, tonight after I host Amateur Night. They, that's, that's the plug you do at the end of every Yuck Yucks show. Oh, really? Really? Always check out Nubian Night, guys. Last yeah, Sunday, do. every that's the, hmm. the it's it's permanently on the list. The little clipboard they give you. That's the last announcement. Last Sunday of every month. That's true. Kenny Robbins. I remember when he had the pl- when you they used to tape us when, when we host. We had to plug wings when they first started selling wings. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> so Ronnie and Ronnie is in the room. So I made him give us a little small plate of wings. So there was another black dude in the audience. So I had so I had Ronnie and him come up. And you so you know us Negroes, we love chicken. And I said, so let's try the brand new Yuck Yucks chicken wings. So me and this other guy, and Ronnie, I said, what you think? And Ronnie's got the eyes big. And the other was like, good, good. So uh, I said, yeah, let him, let him look at that tape tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be black to enjoy a goddamn chicken wing. No, but it was such a... You know, comics were getting in trouble for not plugging the wings back then. That's hilarious. I, I I always tell them. I always let them know if you have ordered food, the washrooms are right th- right up those <laughs> right stairs. Where it's, right where it's prepared. <laughs> um, Kenny, thank you for coming thank down you. and uh, come down to Dope and Mike anytime you want. And this has been another lovely episode of the Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Bye bye, everybody. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Hello to the five people still listening and mom. Thank you for listening to the Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Now that you're done this, go check out another NSN podcast created right here in Toronto. Comedy and wrestling fans, check out Casey Corbin's wrestling podcast, Talkin' Wrestling, here on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.